Welcome to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me, as always, is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? I'm good. I'm laughing because I see what you did there, and it was very apropos for today's topic. <laughs> well, you know, I do my best. So as much as funny I can. and quick-witted. Sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. What are we talking about today? Vocal tuning, yes. pitching stuff, should we do it, how hard we should do it, should we do it all the time or not? So to tune or not to tune, as it were. That is yeah. the question. Come on, Shakespearean yeah. mixers, let's go. Let's do it. What, what's your philosophy on tuning vocals? I do it. That's you're my free. philosophy. I do it. I you're, do it when necessary. Yeah? Yes. That's a key phrase, though. When necessary, do you do it on individual phrases or do you have baked into your workflow that, okay, it's time to tune the vocals? Generally speaking, it's baked in to the workflow. I will run it through the system that I tend to use without touching the tuning to start, which means it's just analyzing the audio. Okay. Then once so you're the already saying what you're using there, but we'll come to that later. <laughs> sure. Well, but there's multiple plugins that do that. that or, that's there's true. multiple yeah. services that do it too. So it's not necessarily that I'm giving away exactly what I'm using. But right. the idea is that it's doing the analyzation. And once it's done the analyzation, I then make the determinative choice. That was a strange word to use. That it either needs it or it doesn't. And if it doesn't need it, I don't touch it, which means that I generally tend to do this shit by hand. Yeah, not yes. okay. I mean, to let the cat out of the bag, that the technology you're you're using there is ARA, right, or ARA, right? yes. which is, has made this a lot simpler. But we'll touch on that down the line. I did it prior uh, to that, yes, but yes, it is still using ARA now. Yeah, it's simpler now. It is to do it. As, yeah, is this style dependent for you? Or do you tend to like? always do that with, with any production that has vocals, obviously. I'll go with not necessarily style dependent, but track dependent and individual track dependent, even finer grained on that. How about you? Yes, I tend to do it if it needs it. And I find, I'm not sure if it's just my ear at this point, I find that just about anything needs some nothing. <laughs> Unless I do work with some people that, that really know what they're doing, and this is not putting anybody down. If I work with somebody like yourself and you do vocals for what? either collaboration or something, I don't have to touch that mm -hmm. because either it's performed really well or you've already done that kind of shit for me. Handing it to you on a silver platter. Yes, and it's very, very nice when you get to work with people that do that, which is awesome. Otherwise, which is most often the case, I would also go further that if it's a client that are not comfortable working with these tools, I would rather do it than they do it because you can do more harm than good. Than good <laughs> yeah. Yes, you can. Style dependent, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's it's always kind of baked in, but it is style dependent in the sense that I think – if you're doing something, let's just say like a style that has more of a jazz influence and things, mm -hmm. 
you get away with a lot more because it's sort of part of that, the performance, the emotional aspect. And I would say the same thing for like maybe some R&B or like old school R&B and things yeah. where it can just sound too mechanical and too precise and you can sort of squeeze out all the emotion out of it, I think. Sure. So in that case, I do think it's style dependent. One point that I wanted to raise though is because vocal tuning is so prevalent in pop, today. Oh, I like, think it's we prevalent have the tools. well beyond pop, though. Yeah, it's everywhere, mm -hmm. right? Maybe even just saying like current music, is that being, or is that forcing us to be more aware of this, or are we just used to now to hear perfectly tuned vocal all the time? Because if we go back and listen to older stuff, our ear wouldn't go like, oh, he's a little sharp on this syllable. But now we might, mm -hmm. so we react to it in a different way. So do you think that is making us more precious perhaps with having a vocal 100% in correct pitch or is it just a good thing to have this? Sign of the times, that's what I'll go with. It's yeah. a sign of the times. Do you think and that will change? Yeah, I do. Over time, I do believe it'll change. I don't know if it will always be hip or cool to tune everything, so to speak. That being said, there's a good prevalence of people that aren't great singers, that tuning them makes them sound reasonable. And there sure. are people that are not great singers that tuning them makes them sound unreasonable, but they sound just great, so to speak without the tuning. Yeah. Does that make sense with what I'm yeah. saying there? And I think that's in the delivery, right? It is. It's, it's a lot in the delivery and it's a lot in the character of the person's voice. If you have a great singer, they may not need the tuning based on their control or whatever it is on their delivery. But if there's something that is slightly off, it is so much easier to deal with somebody that already sounds good. And yeah just making a minor tweak. The same can't be said for people that don't sound good without it. That would be the way I would posit on that question. Yeah, I think the delivery is always the most important thing. Yes. Right. So if you have the vibe there and you have, the, it's just the, oh, it's slightly flat on that high note or whatever. Mm -hmm. I know we have colleagues that have different opinions on this. I would rather have that and then just bring that up, those extra 10 cents in a tune or whatever. That's not a problem for If me. it's needed, sure. If it's needed, of course, yeah. Going back to sort of modern singer, if you will, it's kind of weird that every once in a while you hear somebody do a performance and while they're learning how to sing, they're almost emulating like the byproducts and artifacts of what auto-tune can do. Sure. I'm not sure that's a good development. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's another portion to what I'm thinking in terms of this. I will be more inclined to get another take out of the vocalist than I would be to just say, let's just fix it in post. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I'm not that lazy, and I dislike working with people that are that lazy. Yeah, if it's just, no, I don't want to try that again, just tune it, then yes, that, that's an issue. 
That's a person so, that doesn't get called back again <laughs> to me. There, there is that. Yeah, and that might sound harsh, but that's just a work ethic thing. I think most singers, just like any other instrumentalist, you like to have that pride in your work where you, you obviously do your best and, and try again, as it were. Right. I, I'm with you there. Another take is always preferable than to just tune something. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. With that being said, do you prefer not having to tune or working with people that you have to tune? Is that Which is a, a weird question. question? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would prefer not to have to tune anybody. Yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Just, of course. Yeah, it sounds so absurd when you're saying it because we have these tools that we can do, and they do a good job these days, right? You can, the tools that we have, they can make it really transparent. Mm-hmm. Just because we have them doesn't mean that they should always be part of your workflow if it's not needed. Well, but I um, already just said that I have it baked into my workflow. It well, doesn't always get used, but it's kind of baked in there. Right, but, but that's what I mean. It's like if you have a vocalist that has an amazing voice and they can sing in time and in pitch with emotion, mm-hmm. That's ideal. It is. You know, that, that's, that's the golden bar right there that has just been set. <laughs> yeah. So let's say that if we take the, the tuning of vocals out of it, mm-hmm. how much would you allow it to be out of tune or not in correct pitch, but the delivery and the emotion is there and it's obviously appropriate for the type of music that you're doing? Do you have some sort of give and take there or is it just, okay, what's that? If it is close, but the feel and the delivery is there, Mm. the pitch tools are good enough now you can pull it. Right. But do you ever leave it? That is highly dependent upon the rest of the arrangement and how it sounds harmonically speaking. Okay. So do you have an example there of of anything or, or is it just so dependent that you'd have to hear a sound? It's something you'd have to hear. And I will go so far to say that there was a point, I'm probably 12 years ago at this, where I was mixing a track and there was one particular little spot in this track that was just driving me bonkers because the vocal was in tune, the instruments were in tune, but something was harmonically clashing and it wasn't the wrong note. What it ended up being, (laughs) and this is crazy, the hi-hat was hit in such a way that the hi-hat was actually clashing with the harmony. And it was driving me berserk. And I ended up having to automate an EQ move on the hi-hat to automate the value of that weird harmonic that came out of it, out of the mix. That's how anal I can get about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think... To cycle back here on, we're so used to hearing everything in tune today. My way of dealing with that is always, when you know something isn't right, you hear it right away. Mm-hmm. And if you leave it to an extent where it's like, this is going to bug me every time I hear this song. That's why you I know? had to automate an EQ on that hi-hat for that one particular hit. That's how crazy that was. It right. would bug me every time. Right. Yeah. Another thing, of course, with tuning or not tuning vocals here is creative uses. Mm -hmm. And 
I think the first time, well, I think anybody heard that, that share, do you mm-hmm. believe in life after love? Yes. Because I, I could be wrong here, but I believe that that was sort of a mistake that the engineer did just to show, like, this is where we're going to go kind of thing. And she was like, no, that sounds awesome. Let's leave that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like I mean, the in-the-air drums. That was a mistake, too. And then it's like, oh, no, that's cool. Let's leave it. Right. So mistakes happen that are cool. And this is, as you're exampling here, I do recall that. And it was, wow, that's an interesting effect. And it came straight out of autotune, actually, from Ontario's. Yeah. I remember I was speculating. So what is that? Is that a vocoder? What is that? But it was actually autotune. It was like, a, right. yeah, just pulling that right into pitch. And then, of course, you know, it became known as like the T-Pain effect. And then for a while there, you couldn't hear a song on, on pop radio type of thing that didn't or hip-hop utilize that, that, right? Yeah. It can be creative uses and sometimes we stumble upon those, but I, I wonder how much of that was, you know, intentional artifacts or if it's just singers that were really, really bad and that just what it became, right? I think it's a combination of both. Yeah. To actually get that effect to happen is not the easiest thing in the world. I tried to do it a few yeah. times, and it was miserably hard. <laughs> but then because again, I'm so used to singing in tune, tune already as yeah. it is. But to sing that far out of tune to get it to do it is not the easiest thing in the world. Yeah. So I think it's a combination of both. For people that can sing and to make it happen, it's harder. For those that can't sing, it might be a little bit easier. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And with that, let's take... A word from our sponsors. And we're back. We're going to delve into a little bit of the process of tuning vocals at this point. Kick it off. Well, the way I would look at this is, I guess there's a couple of different ways you could do it. But do you start your, and I know the answer to this as I'm asking you, (laughs) but um, do you do the tuning pre or post comping? The answer to that question is post-comping. What about you? Do you do it pre or post? Yeah, always post. Yeah? It's just, yeah, why would you not do that? I mean, it sounds dumb when you're saying it. I would always make sure that I have the best takes. And if there are tuning issues that are sort of making the choices for me while I use one take or another, what will override that? to me would be if I have one take that has a great emotional aspect to it, mm-hmm. but not there in pitch. Right. And another one that is pitch, but it has a little bit of weaker delivery. Yep. The stronger take with pitch issues will win out for me because that I can fix. Yes. it's I would much rather have an emotional performance and You really like me. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Because it's easier to fix. You can't inject, you know, emotion, right? There's only so much distortion you can add before it starts. You hear that even, Tide? You got a new plugin you got to (laughs) make. Or anybody else out there that makes plugins. You need the emotion plugin now. (laughs) The emotionizer, yeah. (laughs) But I mean, jokingly, uh, on that, you can inject a little bit of emotion by adding subtle harmonics and things. But that's not what we're talking about today. That's how I go about doing my choices. What about you, though? I'm assuming it's the same way. I do my comping first. 
And for those that aren't 100% sure of what comping is, is that is you have multiple takes of whatever it is you're doing, and certain DAWs will allow you to easily pick the best parts. With Logic, it's the folder concept, and you can swipe the best parts with your mouse and make all those pieces fit together fairly seamlessly. Other DAWs can do the same thing. I'm using Melodyne's ARA. Mm-hmm. Giving it away at this point. You want to explain that a little bit, maybe what what that technology actually allows you to do, if somebody doesn't know. Yes, ARA is a real time type of audio manipulation, and it was created by Celimony. And the first DAW to actually implement it was Studio One. And yep. the crazy thing is, is that I believe they developed it with. Apple and Logic, but it wasn't the first DAW to do it. That's <laughs> my understanding. And the, yeah, there there's other companies. There Logic, yeah, there was yeah. there were issues with Logic, and on top of that, there are other companies that are now using the ARA technology, but had issues with the implementation because Apple wasn't doing it correctly. So why Celimony was getting it right with Logic most of the time prior to other companies is a mind-boggling issue. But now other companies are making use of ARA as well. That requires your pitch correction plugin to be the first thing in a channel strip slot. The nice thing is, is instead of creating some extra folder wherever you're recording your audio to input the analyzed audio of whatever it is that you're tuning and keeping a separate audio file, it actually includes it, in the case of Logic, inside the DAW file. So you're still making a session folder. Yeah, yeah, it it still resides within the DAW file, but it's not in a separate folder somewhere. It's literally inside the DAW file. It's still creating an additional audio track for whatever it is that it's analyzing, but it's not quite the same thing as doing an entire pass of every single track that you've recorded in your vocal comps where you had to do it one at a time. Now it does everything lickety split. It's a lot faster and it just balloons the size of your DAW file. All well and good. I do all of my tracking and editing in Logic. I don't mix in Logic anymore, but that's where I do my tracking and editing. I'm just too fast with it there. The nice thing about ARA in Logic with this is that it analyzes every file in a comp folder. Mm. So I don't have to worry about doing multiple passes on it. It's already in there. Since I've already comped it, I know that if I wanted to switch something out just to hear the difference on it, it's real quick and easy. I don't have to do an extra step anymore or extra multiple steps to do it. Studio One being the first to implement it, not only did they do Celimony's Melodyne, they also implemented Synchro Arts Vocaline. It works with the timing. Now, in Logic, you yeah. don't get the benefit of using multiple things doing ARA at once. That's still a fucking headache. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, you can't so, so, do both there. Right. The workaround that I do for that is doing the comping first, mm-hmm. then timing corrections, which hopefully are minor because again, mm-hmm. there would be a different take would be better. Then I would do that using flex time or something. Right. What I would then have to do is because flex time and ARA can't live at the same time. Right. right? Bounce that track. So I have a time corrected track. Then for the next track, 
go in and do the ARA yeah, right. on that one. <clears throat> the ARA was really cool because it just listens and does it does it offline, as it were. It's, it, it's a fast process where the initial versions of Melodyne, which is what I use as well, you'd have to, for all intents and purposes, record it into Melodyne. Right, track. and you then save it, it into a separate time. folder and the whole deal, which becomes right. a hassle because if it gets lost and Melodyne can't find it, you're fucked. <laughs> yeah, well, you have to do all your, your edits again, which could be, time depending consuming. on how much you have to do, it's very time-consuming. And also the uh, the cryptic file names that they would do oh, in a yeah. completely oh, different geez. folder. And it was like, what is this? I got like 18 gigs of something in a Melodyne folder and you had no <laughs> idea what they <laughs> were. So What's you can never delete anything. Right. right. Well, that's why I when I had that issue with Melodyne, I was creating per project folders for Melodyne. Yeah. So I could at least keep them in the same project. I have the same issue currently with Luna. Luna just gives arcane file names that make zero sense outside of Luna. But both of us tend to do all the comping first and then do whatever corrections need to be done after for vocals. Yeah. And one thing that I think is important to bring up here or advisable to bring up at least, that is uh, because most of these have an automatic option of tuning, doesn't mean that you should rely on it 100% in my opinion, because sometimes it can analyze and do it wrong. And sometimes the things that get corrected just don't sound right. I concur so, with that 100%. So, Use your ear. The bigger problem yeah. with that is whether or not somebody has an ear if they're being a mixer. Some mixers right. don't have that harmonic sense and that's nothing against them. It's just that would be unfortunate. Relying right. too and, heavily on the technology. And the same thing goes like, if you've been sitting and you've been editing vocals for multiple hours. Take a break. Like, yeah, yeah, take a break. <laughs> because I, I've had cases where I come back and it's like, what the heck was I listening to? This is way off, you know? <laughs> but going in and using that to not just tune with your eyes, right? And values, just do it by ear and- Make mistakes. You might get a T-Pain effect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't just trust what the value readout says. Like if it sounds good in the intended note, then that's good. And also, I would caution against when we're tuning to tune just to the key of the song or whatever. Yeah. Sometimes if the melody is calling for something where if they sound good, just leave them alone. It doesn't matter if it's if you're in a minor key, but it's the major third it shows, right? If it sounds good, just just leave it alone. I think it just helps with making it sound more and more natural, I guess, when you're doing this. So Provided that's, that's what you want and you need it for your genre of whatever it is you're doing. What are some yeah. of the tools? We've named a couple throughout here. We named a I've, couple. Well, Melodyne to me is the big dog, probably because I'm, I'm a fan and I've been using it since version one. <laughs> <laughs> it's been around but, for a while, but it, it's it, not but the I'm, first. No, it's not the first. Autotune, I think, was first. Like on Terry's, yeah. Uh, yeah, Autotune. And that's why, you know, it's almost like a verb now, right? Have well, you it is. It's like Kleenex it? or Xerox. <laughs> well, that was like, have you, has this been Photoshopped or is right. it, have you autotuned the vocals? Yeah, so there is that. You mentioned repitch. I right? did. Which also has the other tool, which is really cool that I haven't worked with, but with Vocal Align. Vocal Align. I think vocal it's called Align. Time. Yes. Yeah. Which is another process and, entirely, but when you're doing like 
BVs and things like backing vocals. Tons of background vocals are you trying to match up in production, post-production, if you're doing the synchronization of somebody speaking a line in a TV or film or whatever video, and you have to ADR it, as they call it, you can perfectly match it to the original using yeah. Vocaline, which is really astounding technology. <laughs> right. And especially if you're doing like massive sort of like Mott Lang or pop backing Vocal vocals tracks, to get yeah, them to do stacks that. Stacks stacks and stacks. Yeah. Actually, let me pull in another question here that I wanted to ask you. Uh, mm -hmm. When it comes to backing vocals, mm -hmm. how do you deal with those as tuning? Do you tend to be more friendly with, with slight pitch changes there or are you going the same type of mentality? It depends. It's more genre dependent on that. Pop often usually requires extreme precision. So you're going to hammer the living shit out of it, so to speak, to really right. make it fit. Because you've got so – well, it also depends on how many vocal tracks you're doing. I've had songs where there's been upwards of like 80 tracks of vocals. And that starts to become really messy if you don't have one great vocal technique with whoever's doing all those singing. On the flip side, with giant – productions of that nature and people's lazy, fair attitudes, generally speaking. It's not always that way. But when you want to compare it to something like Bohemian Rhapsody, which was done in a time frame that didn't have auto-tune, those guys sang that stuff over and over and over and over again with a talent level that is astounding in that regard because it's all very generally quite tight and in tune to the arrangement that's going on. But with things being in more tighter tuning now, and oftentimes where grooves are more set with rhythmic values, timing becomes a huge issue when things don't smear properly, so to speak. Yeah. And when you start correcting one thing, you correct another sometimes. So for me, I've used both vocal line and pitching to correct massive stacks of backing vocals so that they sound ginormous, but at the same time, super tight. To me, the, the key thing there is the timing mm -hmm. because that tends to stick out more to me than- well, Especially if there's sharp consonants to a, a word being sung or spoken. Sure. I make sure that everything starts and stops and has the same sort of rhythmic delivery mm -hmm. on all of that. I don't mind as much if there are minor, very small pitch changes possibly in between takes because that can just it's well, that almost adds like, to depth and i'll explain yes. that there are moments where things might be in perfect tune already without having touched them and i mm -hmm. might take it and detune one of the vocals just a slight bit just to give that additional depth so i'm taking something out of tune just yeah. to make it sound a little bit more harmonically pleasing yeah it's a bit like Detuning one oscillator on a synth type of thing. It just makes it a little bit bigger. But keyword there is small amounts. Right. Like, so To continue yeah. on with other things that help us tune our stuff. Yes. Waves tune, slate meta tune, and M auto pitch by Melda Production. Plus, yeah. most DAWs these days do come with built-in pitch correctors of some sort that yeah. can be used in some way, shape, or form. Kicking yeah. off the ending here. Well, what were you yeah. going to ask? No, I was going to say, you, your go-to, you mentioned two there, but do you have a preference, Melodyne or the Repitch? Right now, I'm more inclined to grab Melodyne. 
Uh-huh. I have repitch. I have vocal line. I have the stuff that comes in logic as well. I am ultimately most familiar with Melodyne. There are aspects to repitch that I really enjoy, but at the same time, I've got six of one, half dozen of the other. I've got multiple choices, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Spoils for choice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you were given a stereo file of backing vocals that are harmonized, mm-hmm. you can actually retune some of that or pitch correct some of that in Melodyne because it does that. Well, it's Melodyne DNA. There should be very, like, you have to have the stipulation that Melodyne has a level called DNA, and it's a more expensive version that allows you to do that. Right, which is absolutely fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, well, I know based on experience that I've asked you to use your Melodyne DNA to retune instruments other than vocals, one in particular, a guitar. Because the guitar in and of itself was not properly intonated. And the performance was there, but the value of the harmony being played sucked ass. (laughs) So I had you too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I remember that where it was just, you know, there there were chords ringing out. We're not talking about single notes here. I bet there are chords ringing out when they're playing a chord in a certain position of the neck. The intonation was such that it made the chord sound out of tune. It made it sound like shit, yeah. Well, yeah. But thanks to Melodyne, boop, there you yep, go. Everything nice and tuning. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so lastly, I guess we talked about the, the guitar. Is there anything else that you like to tune? Just as a quick note to kind of round this up. Bass. Yeah. I will tune bass if it is overtly problematic. Now, have I tuned other things? Yes. I've tuned snares. I've tuned kick drums. I've tuned guitars. I've tuned... Wait, you tune your guitars? No. <laughs> well, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah I'm post, post-recording. Yeah. I've tuned... Yeah, I'm the same way. The, the other thing, if there I've is tuned one, a sousaphone. As one does. As one yeah. does, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. a crazy thing to tune, but it needed it, so I did it. Yeah. Now, bass is, is another one that can be important because it's just obviously the foundation and things, and I've found that depending on the intonation again, things can leave a little bit to be desired, and it pokes out tremendously but when it's not and it could be just if a player is a little bit too aggressive and ac- accidentally bends notes and things when they're fretting so mm-hmm. and that's not even talking about fretless bases so <laughs> all right well, well speaking that, of things poking out yep. let's move on to our friday finds chris what have you got today I got two today because you have done two in the past. So I'm doing two today because very apropos, I just learned that the aforementioned Antares Pro, the version 10 now, Mm. is now ARA2 compatible. Well, how about them apples? Right. So I thought that's at least worth a nod and a tip of the hat. But the other thing that I also wanted to mention was when we're talking about restoring files or repairing files, at least I think, well, there's really only one big dog in town, right? Mm. And that's RX, Mysotope, right. which is fantastic suite. Does that, I don't know how they do all that math, but it's, it's good. Yeah. But there's another company called WaveArts, mm-hmm. a little bit lesser known, but do great plugins. And they have now a master restoration suite which does a similar job, mm. like repairing crackles and pops and rumbles and hums, that type of thing. There's another 
option there for people. And I think they're doing a sale as of the recording of this podcast. I thought that was at least worth a mention because that's kind of cool when there's another one doing it. Competition is always good, right? So what do you got for? I'm looking at also on the subject of pitching things, Synchro Arts, and it's been mentioned in the podcast in and of itself, has Repitch. And they are about to come out with a new update of it, as far as I know. It should be relatively soon. I'm looking at Repitch. Well, very cool. Yeah, it's baby. It's all about the pitching today, man. Wow, we've got your attention. We ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. Doing so, we'll get you weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips when they come out, and we'll make sure that you don't miss any future episodes of the podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the word tune. Not like cartoon, but waves tune. And you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say see you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one, Jody. Jody.